This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Luc Olivier Dumeble. And I'm Yannick Moyen. And what's up topic for today, Yannick? Falling in love with collectible card games again. Oh, wow. Nice. Yep. But before we start, we have a short follow-up section. Sure. Uh, so on episode 24, we talked about Twitch. And of course, there's been a lot going on at Twitch recently. And this oh, week's announcement... Oh, before you continue about Twitch, I think it's... It is the time where we need to mention that if you have a free Prime uh, uh, subscription to give <laughs> us to s- some people you like, you can consider it for us. We would like to receive a free Amazon Prime subscription. Just saying. Well, that's sort of what we're talking about here. So, <laughs> oh wow, there's said, an, it's good there's I said an, that without knowing that it was really about that directly. Well, it's not really about that. Okay. So there's a new tier of Twitch user called Twitch Affiliates because right now the well until this was released there was only one way you could make money on Twitch and that is to become a Twitch partner which is basically something that happens if someone at Twitch finds your channel and thinks you deserve to get paid for what you do which is not a great system uh, so Twitch Affiliates is basically a program that anyone can sign up for to make money from their streams now they're limited in how they can make money from their streams um but first i want to talk about the requirements to become a twitch affiliate so you need to stream 500 minutes in 30 days yeah you need to have at least three concurrent viewers on your streams otherwise it doesn't count and you need to have at least 50 followers um and the way you can make money once you're a Twitch affiliate is through a system called Cheering with Bits. So there's this little currency on Twitch uh, you can buy called Bits. Uh, it's 1.4 cents per bit. And uh, streamers get one cent per bit when you uh, donate with Bits. Um, so that's how you can make money as a Twitch affiliate. And what I find really funny is since I don't have a job right now, I could technically stream 500 minutes in 30 days it wouldn't be that hard to get three concurrent viewers. And I'm pretty sure I have at least 50 followers right now. So I could technically become a Twitch affiliate. Now, I don't think I would make any money from this because Bits is sort of an underused system anyway, in general. Uh, but it could be something I would consider actually like grinding the 500 minutes to actually get done so that if I ever choose to stream anything for my Wonderswan game videos in the future that I could also potentially make money from it. And that could be a great tool to kind of motivate you uh, about preparing your videos and playing the games and maybe playing even more uh, longer period of those games before recording your videos. Yeah, and I think like in the Wonderswan community in general, uh, people would like to see more streaming content. Uh, So it's something that could be done, I guess. Uh, There is demand for it. I just don't know if it's enough demand to actually make it financially viable for anything uh but i mean it's worth a shot so i might try that in the coming weeks i might not um depends if i get a job in the meantime uh next item of follow-up is about nintendo mobile games so uh we've talked about nintendo mobile games quite a bit in the past and i think we want to do an episode on that in the near future um i think it would probably be best if we just waited for animal crossing to come out because that is technically the next game uh coming down the pipeline But there was news this week that Fire Emblem Heroes, which is Nintendo's attempt at making a more traditional Japanese free-to-play game, has made more money than Super Mario Run despite having a tenth the downloads. So if you weren't already convinced that game companies are heavily incentivized to move to -to free-to-play, no matter what users think of it, uh, I don't know what is going to convince you. Uh, So I'll put a link to the Polygon article in the show notes. Go check that out. And I think I have something to remind you before we go on 
into your topic. Yes, I'm aware. So you <laughs> love to remind me that I'm late on my like lapping videos, but after two weeks, I've realized that hmm, Yannick did not prepare a review for his new DJ controller. So I'll do what everybody is trying to send to you, and they are all following those following those emails to me. So I'm reading <laughs> all of that feedback to you as we speak. Where's the review of your Casio DJ controller? We are all waiting for it. Come on. It's, n- it's not like I'm not working on it. It's just I'm figuring Ooh. out the logistics of I want to do a video review and I haven't figured out where I'm going to record it yet because finding a place that is actually set up so I can use my controller and has appropriate lighting and has a space for the tripod, like it's a logistical problem. And I'm trying to figure that out. Once that's figured out, I can do it and no problem, except I'm still in the stages of figuring that out. And I'm also very busy right now playing two RPGs for my Wondersong videos. So that also got in the way. Okay, now I can think, I can say officially that you can make fun of me because you're way more advanced in that project (laughs) compared to me. It's not like I unloaded the SD card and then sat on it for a year. Okay, okay. My revenge comment tried to didn't work as planned. So that's okay. I gave up. I gave up. Failed. Sorry. So let's talk about collection card games. Right. So collectible card games are also called trading card games. However, in recent years, people have started to gravitate away from that word because more recent ones don't allow you to trade cards. Uh, So examples that listeners may have heard of in the collectible card game genre is, of course, Magic the Gathering, which is huge. Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Masters, uh, the Pokemon card game, uh, Cardfight Vanguard, Hearthstone, Gwent. We're going to cover both physical and digital uh, games in this episode. Uh, One thing that's important to note about uh, collectible card games is that they're very popular in Japan because Japanese homes are small and card games take up relatively little space compared to something like a board game, like a Monopoly box or something. Uh, So you get a better return on physical footprint from card games than a lot of other things. And today I just want to walk through four games in specific. Uh, Some that I have, well, no, I've played all of them, uh, but... I want to look at the the trajectory through falling out of love with the genre and then falling back in love with it and what caused those changes and how the scene has changed since I was a little kid. And of course, we're going to start with the Pokemon trading card game. It was released by Wizards of the Coast in December 1998 in North America and by Media Factory in October 1996 in Japan. And now all of that is handled by the same company, the Pokemon Company uh, internationally. I think pretty much anyone our age is very familiar with the Pokemon trading card game. Maybe not the gameplay mechanics, but at least the cards. Like, nobody doesn't know about the holographic Charizard card that was worth $300. Uh, by the way, nowadays it's worth $150, uh, Whoa. which is kind of unfortunate. You'd think that the value would go up. There was some guy who was sell- selling a mint condition Charizard but like certified mint, which means it's worth even more. For $19,000, there were 24 what? bids on eBay for that $19,000 10 mint card certified. It was crazy. And the shipping was $159 for a card. I'm like, what kind of crazy? Does it come in like a giant gold box? I don't understand. <laughs> like, I'm sure it's just for insurance purposes, something like that. Just make sure maybe, that if it gets yeah. lost and then, oh, wow. Yep, so Holographic Charizard lives on into 2017. Uh, I wanted to know, uh, did you play the Pokemon trading card game or collect the cards at all? Because we've talked about the Pokemon 
video games in the past, but we haven't really talked about the trading card game much. I haven't played the collect collection card game. I did collect them, and mm. I still have some uh, lying around in my boxers here in my apartment, but never played with friends. Uh, I think for me it was more the uh, collecting aspect that was most interesting, com- and comparing collection between friends compared to doing the real kind of quote-unquote battles aspect of the game. And in like 99, we were eight years old, and technically the recommended age for the game is 12 and above. So it sort of makes sense that we were more interested in general in collecting the cards than in uh, playing with them. Still, I do remember other games where people were, they really were competitive about it. A good example of that is if you remembered Beyblades. Mm, yeah, that's a little bit later than Pokemon, but yeah. It's a bit later, but even then, it, it's something that happened when we were like, uh, what, 10? It's at the beginning of the 2000 for that, I would say. Yeah. So, like, what I've seen uh, in my neighborhood when I was younger is people were collecting the Pokemon cards or, uh, like, the Digimon cards, too, if I recall correctly. There yeah. were some, but they were uh, in limited availability here. It's bit fuzzy right now but i do remember that most of my friends were collecting the pokemon games and not really uh playing the card game and maybe were playing those competitive for kids games with other series Mm. so i was really lucky because in late 1999 i got a big starter set box for the pokemon trading card game for christmas one year uh it was right after the fossil expansion came out so I got a bunch of fossil expansion packs and also the starter kit, kit which came with uh, the base game, basically. Uh, pretty much all the cards of the base game, except in normal rarity. Um, and like a lot of people at the school I frequented at the time, basically everyone was only interested in collecting the cards. They didn't even really seem to care about the trading card game itself. So I ended up playing it with my mom. Uh, she was the only person I played Pokemon with. Uh, you can imagine that it got boring pretty quickly um, <laughs> because we were working from the same card collection and I would always have the first pick for which cards I would take so I would take all the best cards and I would always win uh, so that was not always really exciting you never really had that sort of competition going on uh, so yeah it's funny though I played the games like the video games quite a lot and it might sound stupid to say but I think I never understood how to play the card game by itself The card game is pretty basic compared to a lot of card games, and I'll get back to that in a little bit. But it mostly comes down to you have energy cards, which you need to put on Pokemon so that they have enough uh, energy to do certain moves. Once you have enough energy, you can use that move, and you basically just deal damage to the opponent Pokemon and subtract it from their HP. You can evolve at certain points. And you have, you can only have one Pokemon active at a time. You have benched Pokemon that are behind you, uh, which represent like the rest of your party. Um, and I think there's a cost to switching Pokemon and stuff like that. Um, and how do you collect energy cards? It's just by trading cards or there's kind they of, they a... come in the packs most of the time. Like there's basic energy, which is basically like, I don't know if you remember the, there were those cards with like a giant type symbol. In yeah. The I middle. do remember those cards. Yeah. Those are energy cards. So you just, like, put those in your deck for a certain amount, and then when you draw them, you could put them on your Pokemon, and then they could use that energy. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. It's not... Okay, it's quite simple compared to other games like Magic, I would say. Yeah, energy cards are sort of a pain in the ass looking at it nowadays, because 
those cards were taking away card slots from more useful cards you could get in backs. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of true. Um, like other games would just uh, give you like uh, you would have little tokens that you would use to actually like uh, counter mana or whatever your or your play points that you would use in the game. Whereas Pokemon just said, "Nah, fuck that. We're gonna make those cards so we can put them in the backs," and everybody was so disappointed with that. Uh, so yeah, looking back at it now, it's kind of stupid. You're yeah. gonna say something. Uh, yeah, that uh, now that we're talking about the energy cards, I do remember that every time I got some in my, uh, in, in in the cards I received, I was like, oh, I wanted another Pokemon, not this card that I don't know what it, what it is for. It's especially like, if you were only collecting the Pokemon, yeah, like yeah, those yeah. were especially useless. I think uh, in the I, booklet I have right now, I have like, I think ten or fifteen like fire ones, and I'm like, what? <laughs> So, yeah. yeah, and eventually they got crazy with the with the energy cards. I was looking at Bulbapedia earlier today, and there's like there's I think when I stopped playing, there were they were starting to bring out double colorless energies, but now there's like triple colorless energies. There's special kind of energies for types that don't even exist. There's crazy shit, uh, but they're still just in at the end of the day energy cards that nobody wants. <laughs> so. It, my problem when I was playing Pokemon game was really I didn't have opponents. And I found out that kids nowadays have it way better. So in 2003, the Pokemon co- company founded something called Play Pokemon. Uh, it used to be called Pokemon Competitive Play, and it, they renamed uh, a couple years ago. And Play Pokemon is a program where adults can sign up to be league leaders, which hold regular Pokemon trading card league uh, events in safe public spaces like game stores, community centers, or libraries. Uh, so that's really cool. So if you live in Trois-Rivières and you want to start a league, you can go sign up on the website. You get a background check to make sure that you're not going to do terrible things to children. And then if you're accepted, you can basically hold a league every week at a public space and people can come and play. Uh, there are three age categories. There's junior, which is 12 and under. There's senior, which is 13 to 15. And there's master, which is 16 and above. Um, that's only in areas with enough regular participation uh, if there are not, they tend to just sort the list of players by uh, by age and then have people of the same age play each other, uh, which is good. Participating in league events gives you play points, which you can, uh, if you get a certain threshold of them, you can be awarded prizes for those, such as gym badges or promotional cards, which is really neat. And if you want to be more serious about your play, uh, you can go to Premier Tournaments. So there are multiple tiers of Premier Tournaments. There are City, State, Regional, National, and then World Championships for Pokemon. Uh, if you've heard of the Pokemon World Championships, which are held every year and take place both for in-video game battles and trading card battles, this is basically the same thing. Uh, you have to work up your ladder that way, um, and then you can go to Worlds. And one of my complaints about Play Pokemon is sort of how hard it is to find information about local events that are part of this program. Like, if you go to the Pokemon website, from what I can tell, they sort of stripped down the site to a bare minimum in recent years. Like, the they used to have a separate website for Play Pokemon, and now it's just part of Pokemon.com, and they've gotten rid of most of the juicy details. So there's no event finder that lets you see, oh, there's a league in my at my local game, uh, my trading card store, or something like that. Uh, which makes it sort of unfortunate because you basically have to go to all of the hobby shops in your area and find out if they're holding a league yourself and not go online and find out about it. I suppose you can probably like go search Facebook or something, but uh, it's sort of hard to find that information because I was just curious to find out if there was one in the area, not that I would actually participate in one. Did you see if there was some in the like 
Quebec province in general? Like I couldn't much... even find that. Oh wow, okay. So it's really hard. I mean, I know there are like provincial tournaments because like you can go to Pokemon Worlds and come from here. Uh but I don't know the details about it. Yeah, especially if you're the only one in the province that wants to go, you would just win by default. <laughs> well, I think there's more than one person, but yeah. Okay. Uh when I was talking earlier about having the better cards, uh there are alternative rule sets for Pokemon trading card game which I have found out about. Uh one of them is PokeCap's Real Pocket Monsters and Their idea was that they found a bunch of decks in their closet somewhere, and they realized that there was huge power imbalance between one deck and another, but they still wanted to play with those decks. So they made rules that basically level the playing field of the stats in the decks and let you play more strategically. Uh, so I'll put a link in the show notes to this alternative rule set. It's really cool. Uh... I unfortunately had to sell all of my trading cards when we moved uh from Mont Carmel to Trois-Rivières. Uh so unfortunately I have like only one card right now which is the Dragonite that I carry in my wallet everywhere uh from Pokémon the first movie. Uh but uh if I still had my cards lying around I would probably give that a shot because it would mean that basically your brain would be the determining factor of whether or not you win and not how much money you put into the game. Uh as sad as it sounds. Um another cool thing is nowadays there's a digital version of Pokemon Trading Card Game that exists. It is official. It is run by Pokemon Company. And for all intents and purposes it seems that basically everyone above the age of 18 is playing this instead of playing with physical cards <laughs> because it turns out that going to public places and having a bunch of weird sweaty fat guys playing Pokemon next to children is really socially awkward. So we can save the social awkwardness and just do everything online instead, which I guess is pretty good. Uh so as I said I ended up quitting uh the Pokemon trading card game sometime around mid 2000 uh I think it was like a couple months after the Team Rocket expansion came out um which was still generation 1 as far as I remember uh generation 2 I think came out with the fourth expansion or something uh which is unfortunate because I love a lot of gen 2 pokemon and I never got their cards so I have some modern day criticism looking back on the Pokemon trading card game after all these years and especially like looking at how the game has evolved or rather not evolved since I stopped playing. If it wasn't for the game introducing mega evolutions and Z moves, the game would be effectively exactly the same as when I left it. And that is sort of shocking to me because it's been 17 years. <laughs> so, mega evolutions have an analog. They're called M Pokemon X in uh in the trading card game and zen moves do not transfer over identically they are called gx moves in the trading card game i'm not sure why they rename this stuff yeah, because it's very incoherent but i guess they want since the rules are not exactly the same between the game and the trading card game they want to have some distinction to make it easier to find information on a specific one i guess um and it's just shocking how little the game has changed because the next game we're going to talk about has been around for 12 years less than pokemon And first of all the base game has had more depth in it from the start which is That's kind good. of amazing and significant mechanics are being added to the game every two or three years but you might think oh well it's because they're targeting adults right no both of them are targeting the same age children to play the game except one of them is much more mechanically complex and interesting than Pokemon trading card game so at the end of the day i think Pokemon trading card game if you look at how it has evolved over the years It's really just a good entry point for children to get into collectible card games, but once you sort of grow out of it, 
there's not much there mechanically for people to latch on to once they've gotten the hang of it. And maybe then it's time to graduate to more advanced card games, let's say. Um, so I wouldn't really think about trading card games much until, like, the 2010s, which is a couple years ago, which is kind of shocking. Uh, but it was never that I wasn't interested in collectible card games. It's just that a lot of them don't fit what I like aesthetically uh, like, if you look at Magic the Gathering, there's, like, a very obvious Dungeons & Dragons influence on, like, the art style and how everything is written. And that's not an aesthetic I'm particularly drawn to. And my sort of narrative inside of my head is, if I'm going to spend money on cards, especially if it's on a game that I have no one to play with, I want those cards to be art that I actually appreciate and not just cards for the sake of being cards. And the game that met those conditions was Battle Spirits. Uh, Battle Spirits has a fantastic aesthetic that I love, and it's also a fantastic game. Now, uh, Battle Spirits was released in Japan by Bandai in September of 2008, alongside an anime on TV Asahi's Nichiasa block in Japan, which is the Sunday morning cartoon block. Uh, they also released a version of it in America in August of 2009, but they, there was such a lack of publicity that no one actually bought it, so it flopped. Um... Unfortunately, uh, two years ago, the anime moved to TV Tokyo, and both seasons that they have made since switching hands have been terrible, so their management has decided to put the anime on hold, which I hope doesn't mean the death of the series, because I would be very sad. Uh, the base game of Battle Spirits was designed by Mike Elliott, uh, which you may know as one of the most prolific Magic the Gathering designers in history. He was involved in the design of 26 expansions for Magic the Gathering, which is not an ignorable thing. Uh, and the thing that really brought me into Battle Spirits was actually the anime. Uh, I got hooked on season six of the anime, which was Psycho Ginga Ultimate Zero into 2013. And I find that Battle Spirits is kind of fascinating because it's a hilarious meme festival of a show. And yet somehow it manages to be an incredible tutorial for the card game at the same time. Like it's, it's really, really good at conveying the game's mechanics and Considering that the entire anime is basically an ad for the card game, it's like the best ad I've ever seen for a card game in my life. Um, and what makes Battle Spirits really special is cards fall into one of six colors, and each of them have a very specific play style. So red cards are going to be aggressive play, where you're going to attack and you're going to have... Uh, perhaps powers that even boost your attack power even more. White cards are defensive cards. Green cards are cards that allow you to generate cores, which are the uh, the tokens you use to actually summon more cards onto the playfield. You have purple cards, which disable your opponent's cards in various ways. Uh, you have blue cards, which is all about abusing a specific mechanic of the game, where if your opponent's deck runs out of cards they automatically lose, so the blue cards tend to have a lot of effects which make your opponent draw cards faster so that they run out of cards in their deck and lose immediately, which is amazing. If you've seen someone actually use a blue card deck in a tournament, it is actually, like, hilarious how fast they actually lose. Uh, yellow cards are cool because they are weak cards that, when combined with other yellow cards, uh, buff other cards. And what's interesting is uh, you would normally call a game like this where different types of cards have different playstyles, a uh, class-based card game. But unlike other class-based card games, Battle Spirits allows you to mix and match cards from various classes. 
So one of the things you can do is you can have a deck that surrounds uh, that is built around yellow cards, which buff other cards. And then you can say, okay, well, I'm also going to have red cards, which are super aggressive. And then I'm just going to make the red cards even more powerful than they already are. And you can have crazy shit go on. And it's that kind of mechanic that makes it really interesting for uh, crazy adults with a lot of disposable income to come up with crazy creative decks that cost a lot of money to make, unfortunately. Um, you can also use this... Uh, as a counter for other uh, popular cards in tournaments or whatever. So if you see that someone is always playing a specific card and you need something to counter that, but it's not available in the color your deck generally tends to be, you can go pick a specific card from like purple cards or whatever and put that in your deck and you can counter that mechanic. So it makes the game a lot easier to do because in certain uh, class-based card games there are certain classes that do not have counters to other classes and if you play that other deck you're basically guaranteed to lose unless the person is not good at playing their deck Uh, so battle spirit sort of works around that by allowing you to take basically any of the cards mix and match generally most of the decks are going to be built on one specific color just because they tend to have uh, effects that you benefit greatly from having a lot of cards of the same color, but you can still make it work. Um, and of course, the great thing about this is different playstyles in the same game make the game appeal to a wider range of people than just having one playstyle across the entire game, because if not everyone likes that playstyle, then they're not going to check out the game, uh, which is cool. So, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the game basically only exists in Japan because nobody bought it. Uh, and I did something terrible, which is I bought a bunch of Japanese Battle Spirits cards. <laughs> you bought them during your trip to Japan, or you? No, 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 no. I got them shipped. Uh, oh. Yeah. So the thing is, the anime was really, really good, and I wanted to support the anime. The problem is, you can't buy the anime. It's not available on DVD. It's not available on Blu-ray. Uh, which is unfortunate because the season that I watched is—I uh, mean, I went back and watched. A couple episodes from each of the other seasons, and from what I can tell, it's the best season of all the Battle Spirits uh, shows out there. You can't buy any of them, which is really unfortunate. So I basically decided, okay, I'm going to get one box of packs for the expansion that I liked at the time, which basically had really cool designs, and I'm going to get the starter deck for my favorite character on the show, and that'll be enough support for Battle Spirits. But obviously, I have no one to play with here in Tokyo. Uh, so I have like 300 Battle Spirits cards sitting on my desk that I can't really use, but I look at from time to time. So that's cool. Um, so how do I get my fix of Battle Spirits, especially now that the anime is gone? Um, well, I started watching competitive play of Battle Spirits online, and that sort of started my adventure into watching competitive collectible card games online in general. Uh, and we'll talk more about that in the two other games. Um, So yeah, the anime does a pretty good job of showing best-case scenarios for decks that are possible with cards that are generally either unreleased, because they're coming out in the future, or they're released on the same weekend as the episode airs. Because Japan in general, they are super coordinated about what happens in the TV show. Generally, if it's a card or a toy, it comes out the exact same weekend, so that when you're done watching the show, you can go to the toy store and buy it immediately. (laughs) Like, it's super... It's very intertwined, and Battle Spirits is no different. It's run by the same people as the toys, so they have that cycle set up where the expansion comes out on the same day as the episode, and you can go out and buy that card right away. Um, 
So that's cool in quotes, unless you're a parent, in which case it sucks. <laughs> Because you don't want a kid to spend you don't want to spend your all your money on packs for your kids. But as an adult with disposable income, it's pretty cool. Uh, there's a group of adults playing Battle Spirits on a regular basis in Fukui Prefecture in Japan, uh, which have a channel on Nico Nico Doga, which is the Japanese equivalent to YouTube. And they have this series where every week they post a half hour long video of their meetings where they play Battle Spirits against each other. And I think I watched like four years worth of their videos. <laughs> Whoa, okay. They are really good. So they're really funny people in general, so that helps. Uh, it's also very educational uh, because they collectively own a ton of cards and they lend each other cards a lot. So they tend to create crazy decks with super gimmicky shit in it. And then they try them out on each other and have crazy laughter because there's some really broken stuff you can do if you have like several thousand dollars worth of cards uh, and just decide to build crazy decks with them. So that is funny. Um, and what's also really great is at the end of the video, they usually have a brief segment where they showcase individual cards that were used in the matches that were like the big key cards in their decks. Uh, and it's, It's super entertaining, and it's also super educational if you want to play Battle Spirits. Fortunately, can't play Battle Spirits. So, I mean, I found a card game that I liked, but there were a lot of downsides uh, to it, namely that I had no one to play with. And when we started seeing the first glimpses of digital collectible card games, I was very excited because that means online multiplayer. That means you technically always have someone to play with, and that sounds very interesting. And I think the big digital collectible card game that really sparked the revolution is Hearthstone, which was released by Blizzard on Mac and PC in March of 2014, iOS in April, and Android in December. And uh, for anyone who doesn't know, I would be very surprised if you don't, but it is a digital-first, free-to-play collectible card game based on characters from the Warcraft universe. In fact, the game used to be called Hearthstone Heroes of Warcraft, but they renamed it because they don't want to be boxed into the Warcraft universe permanently, uh, which I think is a good idea. And uh, it's digital-first with an asterisk, because if you go look at the standard set of Hearthstone cards... A lot of the art and concepts for those cards were borrowed from a real physical trading card game, the World of Warcraft uh, trading card game, which existed. And then when Blizzard had the idea for the Hearthstone, they basically told the company, oh, uh, yeah, we're going to be shutting down this card game, so bye. Uh, and laughter followed. Um, so, yeah. What's really important about Hearthstone is it invented and popularized the standard format for a lot of digital digital first collectible card games which is basically most of the new ones coming out these days uh like physical card games you can buy packs of cards uh they have different rarities with different drop rates so there's all of that um unlike physical card games trading amongst players is not possible and you can't sell cards um so that immediately leads a lot of people to question to ask the question what happens if you get duplicate cards more duplicate cards than you can legally put in a deck Or what happens if I have a card that I don't want or need? Can I do anything about that? And the answer is yes, you can. Uh, you can do something called dis disenchantment. Uh, you can disenchant cards into what's called dust for a third of the value of the card. And you can craft any card from any set with dust if you want to. So that's really cool. That means uh, if you get a bronze rarity... Well, I don't know the rarity names in uh, Hearthstone that well because I don't play it much. Um... 
But if you get, let's say, a bronze card or a common card and you disenchant it, you'll get a third of the value of a card of that rarity. So once you get three, you can disenchant all three, and then you can craft any common card. Uh, you probably shouldn't craft common cards because the, they're common, so you'll probably get them in a pack. But, you know, you get the idea. Same applies to all the other rarities as well. Uh, there's another gimmick, which is you can get cards that are golden. Uh, this means that they have a gold border, and they are also... Uh, the art on the card is animated instead of uh, still, which is basically the equivalent of holographic cards in traditional card games. Um and those cards are special because you can disenchant them for the full value of the card instead of a third of the value of the card. So if you're playing in free-to-play mode, as a lot of people call it, uh, and you don't care about showing off your bling in competitive games, you can disenchant that card and basically craft another one that's not animated if you want, or just get a lot of dust that way. Um, the game also has a handy button called Disenchant Extras, where if... You, basically, I think... I think in Hearthstone, the max you can have of any card in a deck is three or two. I, I'm not I'm not sure. Uh, but if you have more than that limit, you can click Disenchant Extras, and it'll just find all the cards that you have that are extra, disenchant them all at once, and you'll get a bunch of dust in your account, which is cool. What about cards that are too powerful and get nerfed? Because, of course, in uh, digital trading card games, you can patch the cards after they've been released, and that could kind of suck if you spent all of your dust crafting a specific card, and now it's worthless because they nerfed it. Uh, what you can do is, generally for those cards, they will give a full refund for disenchantment within a certain period after they patch the card, which is really nice. So if you crafted the card, and now you gr- regret crafting that card, you can disenchant it, get a full refund of your dust back. Really cool. Another dynamic that exists in Hearthstone and other collectible card games that don't exist in traditional card games is... This notion of going infinite in Arena. Now, what's Arena? Arena is a game mode that lets you play with cards you don't own. Uh, it costs a little bit of gold or real money, if you want to use real money, uh, to enter an Arena run. But basically, you choose a class. Uh, so Hearthstone has something like nine classes. Uh, you choose a class, and they will give you random cards, and you construct a deck out of those random cards. You can only use them for the arena run. You can't use them in regular play modes. Uh, it's really a specific mode that is very different from standard play. So a normal Hearthstone deck has 30 cards. For each of the 30 cards, they're going to show you three random cards, and you choose which one you want to put in your deck. Uh, as I said, you get to keep that deck for your entire arena run, which means... It ends normally after 15 wins or after you lose three games. So whichever comes first. Uh, The more wins you get, the better the rewards are at the end. So there's a chest, and the chest upgrades each time you get a win. Uh, And if you get 15 wins, you get the best rewards. And the trick is, if you win more than half your games in Arena, the rewards you get are better than the cost of going into Arena. And that's where the notion of going infinite comes If you're really good at Arena, you can play Arena infinitely over and over and over again because your rewards are going to be enough to pay for another Arena run. And you also get cards from that and card packs. So if you're very good at Hearthstone, you don't need to buy packs anymore. You just need to buy like a certain amount of Arena tickets to get good enough at Arena. And then once you're good enough at Arena, you can just go infinite. Um, Now, like I said, the... 
arena game mode is very different from standard play because you and your opponent have decks made out of random cards. Uh, and you can't necessarily guarantee that your deck is going to have synergies. Sometimes you just get completely screwed because your cards are all shit and there was like no good choice ever, uh, which is unfortunate. And because of that, certain cards which are worthless in regular gameplay become super powerful in arena because they have such an element of randomness that they actually can work in your favor. Um, so those are a few of the mechanics that Hearthstone really pioneered and that a lot of other digital card games have sort of borrowed or stolen. Um, now what's really interesting is because this is a game that's digital first, they can innovate and do stuff that's not possible in physical card games because in those cases you have physical restrictions. So here are some examples of some crazy cards. Uh, <laughs> there's a card in the latest Hearthstone expansion, which is uh, Journey to Ngoro, which legitimately just takes an entire pack of Ngoro d- cards that you've never, like, it's a closed pack, puts it in your deck, and when you draw that card, you open the the pack of cards and you put them in your deck. Like, normally you would not have that because you don't have an unlimited amount of free packs living uh, sitting in your room when you play the card game. Uh, there are cards that let you copy your opponent's cards uh, and have them on your side of the play field, which, like, you can't really do that unless you sort of just borrow cards, but that would be awkward in a tournament situation or whatever. Uh, there are cards that can transform cards in your hand or in your deck to completely different cards that you might not own or that might not exist outside of that particular card, uh, which is interesting. And uh, another thing that's not really possible in physical card games is uh, they had this thing called adventure expansions, which are basically campaigns for Hearthstone that you download from the store and you play against AI opponents. And if you beat them, you get cards, which is very different from the idea of buying packs and getting cards back. But, it's something that's really cool and adds a new dynamic to something that is, I mean, it can be more exciting. Now, what's frustrating is when you pay for the adventure and if you suck at the game and you can't beat the guy and then you don't get your cards, I imagine that can be quite frustrating. But it's something you can do. Um, now, if I were to ask you how popular Hearthstone is, like, where do you think it is popularity-wise on Twitch? Uh, that would be a good question because right now that's kind of the only game I know because other people mentioned it to me and it's a couple of colleagues like maybe two or three at most that uh, talk to me about it so I would tend to say because it's a Blizzard franchise that it would be pretty popular amongst amongst people that loves Blizzard franchise so it would be like typical <laughs> like Blizzard fans and outside of that, I would say not that much. So to go back to your question on Twitch, I guess it's pretty popular. It's in the top five almost all the time. Wow. Okay. For a wow. So okay. I can For give a... you some comparison with other Blizzard games. So Overwatch is like the big one right now, but streaming wise, it's pretty much always in the top ten, but never really always in the top five. Uh, so there's that. Heroes of the Storm is kind of in third place right now. That's their MOBA, and it's incredibly popular right now because a big patch came out. Uh, but normally it's like top 30, top 35, although right now it's in top 15 uh, because uh, they have a charity thing going on. Um, so it really is the biggest Blizzard game in terms of streaming right now. 
And I think it's because it's just sort of a chill game. And it doesn't matter if you're not necessarily actively watching all the time because it's a turn-based game. So you can just like leave it on in the background and look from time to time and get a pretty good idea of what's going on. Um, and I just want to mention a couple of things that you can watch either on Twitch on, or on YouTube. So right now, Hearthstone Global Games are running. This is the Olympics of Hearthstone. Uh, each country has a team of four players and it's a tournament to find out who's the best country at Hearthstone. And by the way, right now, Canada is at the top of Group F. Fuck yeah. Ooh. Uh, so yeah, there, uh, there's... Is, is, oh, wait. Is it time for me to cue it, uh, the king of JJ? <laughs> JJ, stop. It's time, yeah. Okay. You know what would be great is if one of those players or all of those players look like JJ. Unfortunately, they do oh, not. Oh, crap. That and they would could be, be sponsored by Canadian Tire. Oh, that would be amazing. It's the reverse Canadian Tire. It's the <laughs> Uh, speaking of Canadians, there's also Kriparian. So Kriparian is a very popular streamer and YouTuber when it comes to Blizzard games in general. Um, but he is also one of the world's top players of Arena, and his job is streaming multiple hours every day of Arena, generally. Uh, so you can go watch him pretty much whenever at night and go watch him play Arena and be very frustrated <laughs> sometimes. Uh... And what's really cool about him is he also posts two highlight videos of his streams every day on YouTube, generally about 15 minutes each. And each video is themed around a specific deck or card. Uh, so if you want to learn about a specific playstyle, uh, you can go look up a specific card on his channel, and there's probably like a 15-minute video of him using that card or being destroyed by that card uh, sitting around on his YouTube channel. And since he releases two a day, basically any topic is covered. Uh, there's no worry about that. There's also uh, another streamer in the Hearthstone community, which is unfortunately named Trump, but has no relation to the president of the United States. And he is really, really strong on analytical content. So really like going in depth into analyzing the stats of all the cards and potential theory crafts of various situations and stuff like that. And sometimes he is hilariously wrong about things, which is entertaining uh but he also has a sense of accountability so for the last expansion he did a pre-review of cards where basically the list of cards was out but he couldn't actually play with them yet so he reviewed each of the cards in theory and then at the end of the expansion before the new one came out he basically rewatched his entire original re review video and basically said i was wrong about this i was wrong about this i was right about this and basically offers a new tier list based on what he had uh based on his conclusions after an entire expansion's worth of playing now it's worth noting that that accountability is great because you feel like you can trust the guy to call himself out on his mistakes it's absolutely useless though because by the end of the expansion the new expansion is coming out and those cards are not going to be played anymore mostly so yeah but uh, lots of good theory content over uh, Trump's channel. Um, <laughs> it sounds so weird. <laughs> oh, I guess. If you like to treat trading cards or collectible card games as a science, then that's the channel you should check out. That's what I mean to say. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. So I don't play much Hearthstone at all. And I'll go into that for a little bit later. But I watch quite a bit of it every week because I find that the streamers are entertaining. Um so yeah, another thing, like I mentioned earlier, worldwide ranked multiplayer solves my biggest issue with physical collectible card games. So no matter the time of day, there is always someone you can play with. And unlike all of the other Blizzard games, uh, because collectible card games are turn-based, you don't care about ping time, so everyone is on the same server. 
which means you can be matched with someone on the complete other side of the earth in a completely different language, and it doesn't matter because ping time isn't important, uh, which is great. Uh, because otherwise, like, uh, Overwatch has a huge, huge user base, but if you're trying to play ranked at 3 a.m., sometimes there are no players, and that sucks. Uh, not that you should be playing ranked at 3 a.m. Uh, so yeah, uh, ranked multiplayer also is very good because it means you're going to be matched with someone at or around your level. And that means that all skill levels can enjoy ranked multiplayer. Whereas if you're a single new player joining a local community of longtime Magic players, you're going to get slaughtered every single time you play against them, and it's not going to feel good, and you're going to want to quit the game. So ranked multiplayer works great in that respect. So why don't I play this game? Well, reason number one is... It's a free-to-play game, but I feel that Hearthstone gives you too little for the time you invest with it. And because of that, you have to resort to paying for card packs way more than I would like. And we will go into much more detail about this in the next game. Uh, the other thing is that the pacing of the game is a bit too slow for my liking. So Last Expansion uh, was a very aggressive metagame, but it still felt too slow. Uh, and, I, I mean, that's just personal taste. I don't mean to say, like, if you enjoy that kind of gameplay, then fine, go go play it. Uh, don't, I won't stop you. But for me, it was too slow pace of a game. I want things to be fast and aggressive, like, more aggressive than what they call aggressive. Uh, so it's just not for me. And that brings us to the last game, and the game I am obsessed with these days, Shadowverse, which was re- released by Games on iOS and Android in July of 2016, and on Mac and PC in October of 2016. If you are not aware, Psy Games are the developers of the biggest Japanese free-to-play mobile game, which is called Grand Blue Fantasy. Uh, they also make Rage of Bahamut, which is not particularly pop- popular, but I mention it because there's significant overlap in characters between all of Psy Games' uh, series. So Shadowverse, Bahamut, and uh, Grand Blue all share characters. And by the way, this game is available in English, uh, even though it's made in Japan, which is great. Uh, yeah, that's, an, that's nice and interesting. Yeah. So I first heard about this game uh, through a friend of the show, Woof, who is an illustrator and draws a lot of uh, beautiful women. And uh, a lot of people For I follow... For a sec, I was sure you were about to say Kanye West, but I'm so happy. <laughs> what? Oh, friend of the show, Kanye West. Well, maybe Kanye West plays Shadowverse. I mean, like, uh, Snoop Dogg is playing the neptunia games now so anything is possible oh i think uh, right now i'm just mixed it mix it with drake but that's okay because uh, you always mention drake too drake so. is also great uh, oh my goodness but anyway okay. so i also saw a lot of people that i follow on twitter in japan uh getting into shadowverse and the thing that sort of pushed me over the edge to play this is when i was in line at the nintendo switch trial event everybody in line was playing shadowverse and when I was waiting at the gate at Narita Airport to come back to Canada, everyone was playing Shadowverse. And I was like, maybe I should try Shadowverse. Uh, and at first glance, you think, wow, this is Hearthstone with anime. And <laughs> it looks like that, but the gameplay mechanics are actually more like Battle Spirits. And I love that because I love Battle Spirits. Uh, it also inherits a lot of the good things that Hearthstone innovated. So Arena is here. It, Arena is a little different, but it's still the same concept you can still go infinite uh so everything i mentioned rank multiplayer all that still there however they improved on hearthstone so in hearthstone there can be a significant advantage that's gained if you start first because you have a coin flip and someone starts first and 
I mean, especially in the last expansion, if you start first, you win. That is basically <laughs> the, <laughs> that is basically how that was balanced. Uh, wow. Okay. So it becomes a game of randomness. Well, just trading card you. games are always sort of a game of randomness because you never know what you're going to draw, right? So Fair. there's always that element. But in Hearthstone, especially with the last expansion, because of the aggressiveness of the cards that were being played, you would often lose if you were second place. And there was not much you could do about it. No, but what I meant by that comment is more that the odds are less than 50%. If it's a a coin flip... It yeah. becomes 50%, so... Yeah, and there are websites on the internet that actually do track statistics as to, like, if you start first, you win this many percent, and if you start second, you win this many percent. And you can filter that by deck type, you can do all the crazy stuff. Uh, Shadowverse tried to basically improve on that by introducing mechanics to balance first place and second place more. So, hmm. there's a mechanic called evolution. Um, cards in uh, Hearthstone and Shadowverse have health and defense, uh, no, sorry, that's the same thing. Uh, those are the two words that mean the same thing in the different games. Uh, wait a second. Attack and defense, yes. Uh, I'm smart. Uh, <laughs> and if you evolve, uh, a, ca- a card in Shadowverse, it gives them plus two attack, plus two defense. It also gives them rush, which means if you just play the card normally, you have to wait until the next turn to be able to attack with it. Uh, rush lets you attack immediately as long as it's on another follower. Um, there is what's called face, which is a big face of your character, which is in the back, uh, which you can damage, and that is your overall health. When your face goes down to zero in Hearthstone or Shadowverse, you lose the game. Uh, so basically, rush means you can't attack face, but you can attack other followers. Uh, so evolution is cool because it lets you actually like boost certain cards in strategic ways, but the player who starts second gets an extra evolution orb. So that means he has a power advantage whenever he chooses to use it. Also gets an extra card uh, when starting the first draw. And to be perfectly honest, this seems to be enough to balance the difference between going first and going second. Now, that's not always true, because right now I'm playing a deck, which oddly enough, it's advantageous for me to play second place. <laughs> so if I actually play second, I have a higher chance of winning than first. Uh, and... It's always going to vary depending on the type of deck you're playing and the cards, and it's very hard to balance these things. But for the most part, on average, if you look at all the decks together, it's basically 50-50, which is nice. It's not like a previous expansion or Hearthstone, where you're first, you win. Uh, so that's nice. Uh, I mentioned that the game was similar to Battle Spirits, and that's because of the class mechanics. So Hearthstone also has classes. I didn't really mention them because I feel like... Hearthstone classes are very arbitrary. Please don't send hate mail. Uh, <laughs> no, so no, 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 no. In Hearthstone, send your email to any. Come on. In Hearthstone, each of the classes have hero powers, which are basically abilities that cost two play points that you can use once per turn. Um, so that is one of the things that varies per class. And the types of cards that are available to you vary per class. But there's nothing inside those cards that... If you just read the text on the card, you wouldn't think, oh, this is a card that can only be played by this class. They're sort of just cards that were randomly segmented across these nine classes, and you have to deal with it. And it's sort of the luck that, well, well, this card wound up in this class or something like that. There are some coherent elements, but in general, it's a lot less coordinated. In Shadowverse, it's a lot more like Battle Spirits Colors, where there is a big playstyle shift from one class to another. So I'm going to list them all right now. 
There's Forestcraft. Uh, in Forestcraft, you have a lot of cards with low cost, but they have added effects if you play two or more cards in a turn. And you also have uh, a lot of cards that allow you to create fairies, which are one-cost cards, which basically only serve to be the first two cards you play, and then you play other cards that have effects if you played two or more cards. Uh, there are Swordcraft. Uh, Swordcraft is about synergy between two kinds of cards. There are officer cards and commander cards. And if you have a commander card, they give officer more, uh, officer cards more power. Um, pretty straightforward mechanic. Runecraft, uh, is about magic. So if you play spell cards, uh, any cards that you have in your hand with the spell boost keyword will get enhanced by playing spells. And one of the popular types of decks for that is called Dimension Shift, which costs 13 play points to play. The max of play points you can get in uh, Shadow versus 10, which means you have to spell boost it at least three times to be able to play it at all. And that card is immensely powerful because it lets you have another turn before your opponent plays. Uh, so regularly what you do is you basically just spam spells the entire game and take the damage that your uh, that your opponent does. And then you play Dimension Shift and play basically six turns in a row, <laughs> uh, which is a very infuriating thing to play against. Uh, but I suppose it's satisfying for those people. It's uh, an easy way to win, I guess. It, it's, it really pisses you off, though, when you play <laughs> into that thing, because you're like, okay, well, it's a race to see who damages. Like, if you damage their face enough in the time that they're spell boosting and they don't get enough, uh, or if you get lucky and they don't draw enough spells to spell boost their dimension shift, or if dimension shift never falls into their hand, which can also happen, uh, you basically win automatically then. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it's sort of very random if you can win or not against that. Uh, Dragoncraft, uh, has cards that have additional effects when the player has a maximum play point count of a seven or more. And the gimmick there is you have cards that allow you to get more play points faster than the rest of the classes. Uh, Shadowcraft, when you discard a card that goes into your shadows, uh, which is a counter that counts how many cards you, discount, uh, you discarded, and you have ne necromancy effects on other cards, which can use those shadows to basically redeem them for added effects. Uh, Bloodcraft are cards that gain additional effects when your leader's health is below 10. Uh, so basically, a lot of cards damage yourself in order to get those effects faster. The problem is then you basically either have to heal yourself, but not too much to stay under 10. It's sort of a weird thing to play, but it can work. And Havencraft, uh, they give you amulet cards, which do not have attacker defense. They just stay there, and they have a countdown on them. And after a certain number of turns, uh, effects will activate. And sometimes that's... Uh, summoning new cards sometimes that's destroying all of your opponent's cards sometimes that i mean there's a lot of possible effects and you also have cards that help you reduce the cool the countdowns on your amulets uh so you get those effects faster and there is uh a special a special amulet called Instatued seraph which is one of my favorite cards in the game because basically after five turns you win like guaranteed at least five turns. But if you have cards that accelerate how quickly the countdown goes down, you can win basically as soon as you play the card, which is really mean. Wow. Okay. So there's a lot of easy way, not easy way, but like shortcut way to just win a game in that. Yeah. And I think that's what's fun about Shadowverse is when you look at the raw card list, you're like, this is a bunch of broken shit that shouldn't be allowed to be in a game. <laughs> 
And somehow it works because there are counters to that with other crazy overpowered shit in other classes. So it's really fun to play. Um, now, another thing I complain about with regards to Hearthstone is Blizzard is sort of really cheap with when it comes to giving away free stuff. Uh, Shadowverse does not have this problem. In fact, they're maybe a little bit too generous. And I, I mean, that's not a problem. I'm not complaining. Uh, but... Anyway, let's sort of go through a couple of these examples. So when a new expansion comes out, they gave me 10 free packs. Hearthstone gave me three free packs, sort of. And the sort of is I had to sign in every day during launch week, so I only got one pack. (laughs) Which is, oops. Uh, If the, uh, yeah, so this week, Shadowverse reached 9 million downloads on the App Store and on Google Play. I got nine free packs for that. This week, Hearthstone announced 70 million downloads, and I got three packs for that. (laughs) I'm like, okay, that's like many, many times more, Whoa, but yeah, okay. that's way more. Uh, in, when the most recent expansion came out, uh, there were some cards that were bugged and they had to release bug fixes for them. When the bugs got fixed, I got three free packs to apologize for the cards being broken, uh, for a couple of weeks. So that was nice. Um, on top of that, there is a list of achievements. And when you get the achievements, you get either packs, arena tickets, or gold. Uh, there's monthly score rewards. So, uh, the way ranked multiplayer works is you have a score that goes up or down uh, depending on how much you play and if you lose or win games. Uh, just by playing ranked, you make that score fluctuate. And if you gain a certain amount of points, you get a card pack. If you gain a certain amount of points, you get other rewards. So there are a lot of rewards you can get just by playing the game like that. Then there's just like... Some of the achievements they give you are fucking crazy. Like they give you too much free stuff. Like... uh if you play against the hardest AI, which you can do, you can get 28 packs for free, basically, uh, through gold. Uh, no analog to that exists in Hearthstone, really. Uh, if you play private matches against 20 distinct people, you can get gold for 20 packs. Um, and that doesn't even include monthly events. So right now there's a Street Fighter collaboration for some reason. I- I'm not sure why, but this is a thing they do in Japan sometimes. They collaborate with other games to promote them, and they have weird events. And... If you sign in for an entire week, you get basically like enough gold for two, uh, for a card pack. You get a, a card pack for the latest expansion and you get a couple other goodies. Um, so it's just insane how much stuff they give you for free. And in our free to play episode, we talked about Puzzle and Dragons and Gung Ho and how they did some research and realized that if you're super generous with freebies, players love you and they want to give you money via in-app purchases more than if you're cheap. And so I think that Shadowverse is a very similar situation because I gave them 50 bucks in in-app purchases just because I wanted to support a game that gives me a lot of free stuff. And, I mean, it's entirely possible to play for free sustainably, but you might as well just give them money to keep the game alive if you love it that much, and I do. Yeah, I think the, the point we made in that episode was that if players realize that you're kind to them, they will be kind to you, them, uh, to you back. Yeah, definitely. And right now, like, there is a height of frustration amongst Hearthstone players who basically seem like, I spend all day playing and I get basically nothing. And Shadowverse gives people free shit every single day, basically. Uh, I forgot to mention, there's also a daily login bonus where you get, like, between 30 and 50 coins every day you log in. And uh, on we- uh, I think at the end of the week, each week, you get a card back or something similar. So lots of goodies that Hearthstone doesn't really compete with. So a lot of people are being drawn to Shadowverse from Hearthstone and seeing how generous they are. And they're like, wow, Blizzard, you're really cheap. Uh, so yeah. Uh, 
much like Hearthstone, there is the dust system in Shadowverse. It's called Vials. And the more cards you own, the easier it becomes to craft cards through free-to-play playstyles. Uh, because when you get packs, you get duplicate cards, and then your duplicate cards can be disenchanted, and you can get more vials, and then you can buy more cards. Um, so what's really great is, like, my $50 that I spent let me build exactly the deck I wanted to build, uh, which would not have been guaranteed if I had spent $50 in Hearthstone to begin with. And then, because I had all of those cards already in my collection, whenever I got free card packs or whatever, I would have duplicate cards, and then I could disenchant those for vials. And because of those vials, I've been able to build an entire other deck just from free stuff that I was given. Uh, so now the deck I'm playing right now, the Swordcraft uh, Frog deck, which is a super meme thing, uh, where you only use like a frog card that is super meme material. Uh, I built all of that from free stuff, and I am starting to have enough vials for another deck, so I'm probably going to play another class soon. Uh, so yeah, tons of fun if you basically like don't want to spend a lot of money. You can still get away with not spending a lot of money playing Shadowverse, which is huge i think um but it's still a good game even if you ignore that um so yeah in conclusion for shadowverse it feels like a digital version of battle spirits to me um i mean i would probably prefer battle spirits on paper to shadowverse but because of all of the advantages that it gives me that the other trading card games i mentioned don't have it sort of comes out on top for me and it's what i'm spending a lot of my free time doing so sort of summarizing the three things that I didn't like about the other games it has more complex mechanics than Pokemon to discover and play around with like a lot more mechanics. Uh, it's online nature means that I have people to play with at any time of the day, unlike battle spirits where I basically have to go to Japan to play. Uh, and it's generosity, game balance tweaks and fast paced nature make it more appealing to me than hearthstone, which is great. And I think really the, the thesis statement behind this entire episode is if you, like me, were frustrated with collectible card games in the past because there was never a community in your area for the game you wanted to play, I would really encourage you to give digital collectible card games a shot. Uh, a couple that I'm going to mention, just like some you could go look up online and see if it's to your liking. Hearthstone, Shadowverse, Gwent is from the Witcher universe. Uh, so if you're into the Witcher games, Gwent is currently in... I don't know if it's closed or open beta, but uh, you can go find that online. The Elder Scrolls Legend, if you're a fan of Skyrim or Oblivion or whatever the other one was called that I forgot, uh, you can go check out their card game. There's another one that looks really pretty with a lot of elves called Faria, uh, which is on mobile right now and I think is coming to desktop soon or to the opposite. And Magic the Gathering and Pokemon have digital versions, uh, so you can go play those as well, although those are much closer to their physical card game counterparts than any of the ones that were designed for digital first. Uh, and I think the digital first, first ones are more interesting, but if you have a nostalgia trip, you can always like boot up Pokemon trading card game online and go play. And that's it. Wow. That was an interesting, and it was also a trip into memory lane because it reminded me of when I was collecting Pokemon cards. Yeah. So, if you want to see all of those uh, collectible trading card game, you will find a link, a link to them in our show notes, and you can find our show note at 
Net slash 63. If you want to listen to and see the show notes for all of our episodes, you can go on our website at limitlesspossibility.net. The show is also on Twitter. If you want to follow its latest news, it's at limipo underscore podcast, L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. I am myself on Twitter at, at Lucanoche, that's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E, and you can find Yannick at Sakurina, S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. And we'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.